Hello, beloveds, and welcome to Christian Emotional Recovery, a podcast for those who are survivors of childhood trauma, emotional neglect, and narcissistic abuse. This podcast is hosted by Rachel Leroy, a college professor and trauma survivor. Many of us spend years trying to heal and don't get anywhere. We don't always target the trauma itself, which is so often what keeps us stuck. This podcast is where faith meets science. Rachel is an emotional healing expert with 20 years of experience applying healing modalities that helped her start making progress after nothing else worked. She'll show you how to do the same. Each week, we'll cover a topic that will show you how to heal trauma for good. Please check out our website and show notes at christianemotionalrecovery.com and join the Facebook community, Trauma Survivors Unite, Christian Emotional Recovery. Hello, everyone. Welcome to blog number five in Christian Emotional Recovery. And I wanted to talk about something that I keep hearing come up a lot lately when I read articles, when I look at the internet, when I'm on Facebook, because I follow a lot of emotional healing groups and a lot of groups of people who have dealt with some kind of abuse or the other, um, sometimes physical, sometimes not. But I wanted to talk today about why chasing happiness will actually make you more unhappy, and is there a such thing as toxic positivity? Now, this sounds counterintuitive to everything we've been taught, because most of us are taught that we need to pursue happiness in order to be happy, and we're taught that being positive actually makes us feel better and helps us to heal our emotions. Well, I want to explain what I mean by these phrases, and I don't want you to think that I'm saying being negative will actually help you heal or rejecting happiness or rejecting positivity will make you happy. I'm saying that there has been a lot of misconceptions around this and I have 20 years, more than 20 years of experience with chasing happiness. And I can tell you for a fact, talking to other people, reading endless studies, reading endless blogs and taking so many classes that you're taught this thing about chasing happiness and it actually makes you miserable. But some of the emergent stuff that I've been reading has actually been questioning that concept that chasing happiness will make you happy. And it's showing from people's experiences, anecdotal evidence, and also through research that chasing happiness can actually make you feel worse. Note the word chasing. So it means like grasping. So most of us listening to this blog are Christian, but the Buddhists have a very wise way of explaining this process. Like I said, they call it grasping, and they say that grasping is the form that all misery takes one way or the other. And Christianity has a very similar concept in that, for example, we say the love of money is the root of all evil. And most of us that are educated in the Bible know that there are all kinds of wealthy people in the Bible that help other people, that enjoy the fruits of their labor, that have money. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have money. But the fact is, if you chase money and you will do anything for money, including 
including sell your soul, maybe not literally, that you will make yourself crazy. And that's a form of grasping. And that's why I believe it says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love there doesn't mean like you enjoy money, you enjoy making money, you like to use your money to help people, you spend your money on fun things and enjoy the hard work that you do. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you pursue something to the point that it becomes an obsession and there's fear behind that, you're not producing the fruits of the Spirit when you do that. You're actually grasping like the Buddhists talk about. And that, like I said, is the form that helps to be the root of all misery. I believe even though... Um, Happiness may be a more esoteric concept. For most people, it's connected to a spiritual concept that pursuing happiness in the sense of chasing it and grasping for it is counterproductive. And I also believe that positive thinking is healthy in a certain context, but if it's used in the wrong context, not only is it not helpful, but it can actually be damaging. Yes, I'll say it again. I believe that positivity, when it's used in a way where I have to be positive or somebody just comes along and prescribes to you how you should feel, oh, be positive, oh, think better, oh, cheer up. Sometimes when somebody says that, it can actually jar us a little bit and we're like, oh, and it does help. But there are other times where it just makes us feel more pressure and there's more distance between us and wanting to feel better because we realize that we're so far from the emotion we want to feel that we actually feel shame and then we feel anger and we turn on ourselves if we're depressed and somebody says, oh, cheer up. You're so blessed. You know, look at those people in Africa. Those kids in Africa have so much less than you. You might have heard something like that when you were a kid. Well, what they're saying is well-meaning and what they're saying is actually true, but the way they're delivering the message, even if it's well-meaning, is damaging and minimizing. Okay, so I want to get to what is toxic positivity, what does it mean to chase happiness, and then we'll go over, basically, I, I want to talk about the benefits and importance of positive thinking, because I don't want this blog to be about positive thinking being a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing, and it can help change our lives, changing our thoughts, but it has to be done in the right way. And so then we'll talk about some of the positive teachers and preachers that might um, preach a lot of this stuff and actually help in the right context, you know, if you follow any of them. And then also, what is toxic positivity? Does it exist? What does that mean? What are examples of that? And then we'll talk about, I'm going to share some of my experiences with forced positivity and toxic positivity from other people, and then talk about how po toxic positivity can actually be re-traumatizing and minimize someone's experience. And then we'll talk about how toxic positivity impacts people with mental health issues as well. And then why chasing happiness will actually make you miserable. Then we'll talk about is there a healthy alternative? So how do you have a positive attitude and not actually cause more damage than if you didn't try to force it. Also, how is accepting one's emotions part of that process? And how do you do that? And then we'll talk about how to process that and then wrap up with a few closing thoughts. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about toxic positivity and positivity in general. So a lot of you have probably read, probably from your early years, um, Norman Vincent Peale. He's a popular Christian minister who 
um, started a phenomenon, a cultural phenomenon, and he was part of one in our culture, one that was both secular and Christian. And he wrote many books about positive thinking. His most important was The Power of Positive Thinking. And first, I want to say that his book changed my life. It was very influential, and reading his books did make me feel better. Applying what was in his books made me feel better. But there was only a certain amount of that applying, and only a certain amount of it that made me feel better. And then I felt like he was talking about these miraculous results and how people's lives were completely changed and they got new jobs and new relationships and they reaped these wonderful benefits into their life by having faith in God and being positive. And he just made it seem so easy. You just do one, two, and three, and then your life will change. Well, my life didn't change, and it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. Again, I felt like I was deficient because I applied this stuff according to his instructions for literally decades, and I got minor results. Nothing like what he said and the examples in his books showed, and even some of my friends that said that when they changed their attitude, everything in their life started to change. Well, when I worked on my attitude, things did not change. And it was discouraging. And like I said, it made me feel like something was wrong with me. And if you've experienced that too, I want to talk to you about this because I believe your experience is not that uncommon and there is nothing wrong with you. And that's, again, one thing that I want to continue to stress here. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just a matter of trying to get to the root of whatever is causing the things that are stuck in your mind, the depression, the anxiety, the anger, the trauma, and all of that. So let's go ahead and talk about what is positive thinking. And let's talk about the benefits and the importance of it. Because like I said, I'm all for positive thinking and it is a good thing to think positively. But let's talk a little bit about positive thinking first. So positive thinking is basically looking at the sunny side of life, taking negative thoughts and flipping them into positive thoughts, reinforcing positive thinking in your ideas and in your behavior, believing for good things in your life, assuming that things that you don't know how they will turn out will turn out good. Those are all Christian, Christ-like concepts because when... um was it Paul that talked about meditate on these things, whatever things are good, whatever things are of good report, whatever things are are positive and and kind and and all of that. Sorry, I don't have the scripture right in front of me, but it's biblical to be positive, and that's obvious. However, there's a lot more to it than just think positive. So positive thinking is does have health benefits. According to Mayo Clinic, the health benefits of positive thinking, this is the um, website, the Mayo Clinic website, and it's the article, uh, Positive Thinking, Stop Negative Self-Talk to Reduce Stress. Po- positive Thinking, Stop Negative Talk, Self-Talk to Reduce Stress. And it lists the benefits. This is based on scientific research. The health benefits of positive thinking include increased lifespan, lower rates of depression, lower rates of distress, greater resistance to the common cold, and I would argue probably other diseases as well, better psychological and physical well-being, better cardiovascular health, and reduced risk of death from cardiovascular disease, better coping skills during hardships and times of stress. So it also talks about how you can identify negative thinking. Um, And so if you want to go through and look at 
these strategies. There's some great strategies in this article. Like I said, it is positive thinking, stop negative self-talk to reduce stress. So uh, positive thinking is basically looking at the positive side of life. Um, being proactive in making positive changes in your life, having a growth mindset, looking at a negative situation based on the good that can come out of it. What can you learn from this situation? Having a humorous approach to life is part of that, I believe. Identify areas where you can actually change. If you can't change something, look at the good things about it and accept what you can't change and be at peace with that. And surrounding yourself with positive people, having a healthy lifestyle, practicing positive self-talk, using scriptures to reinforce positive thinking is another one. And cognitive therapy is another one. If You can look at books that talk about positive self-talk. And that is another great tool. It's very hard work, but it is worth the work because it helps you to identify your thought, figure out where thoughts are negatively impacting you, and then gives you a substitute thought where you can change the thought. For example, if you say, this is from the Mayo Clinic article, I don't have the resources, you, you might say necessity is the mother of invention. And then you might get creative and find a way to make something happen. For example, uh, if you don't have money for a coach and you're an entrepreneur and you need a business coach who can help you come up with a plan for a successful business and a business mindset strategy, um, you might not have the money for somebody that charges $200 an hour. But if you were to offer your services to someone who's interested in them as a trade, that's a way to get the coaching, even if you don't have the money. So that's a way of being creative where you might come up with solutions that you might not have otherwise, right? So positive thinking has benefits. Positive thinking is universally accepted in every culture, every religion, as being something that makes our lives better, those around us and our own, and it has health benefits. So those are all noted. And so you might feel like me in the past that, oh, I've got to be positive. I've got to be positive. I don't want to die when I'm young. I don't want to have heart disease, da, 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 da. And you panic and because you try your best and you cannot get your mind to think positively but that's because of that programming, the programming that happened where the trauma is embedded in your mind or where those negative experiences are embedded in your mind and you haven't accessed the actual source of the emotion to let it go. And so you can sit there and try to change your thinking all day long and it may help and you may be able to do it, but those negative emotions are still going to come up and those negative emotions are coming from somewhere in your brain where that stuff is still stuck. So you're like, well, how do I get that out of my brain? That's a good question. So we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes because just saying that negative, um, that toxic positivity is not good for you is not going to solve the problem, but understanding it is part of that process. So we're going to go through a step-by-step -step process on how to deal with a negative feeling or thought because negative thoughts are always connected to negative th feelings. There's a lot of debate about whether feelings cause thoughts or thoughts cause feelings. Either way, this process will work and it'll help you to be able to process your emotions in an authentic way and to think more positively without guilt and do it in a way where it's not forced, okay? So let me tell you a little bit about toxic positivity. So toxic positivity, according to Guideposts Magazine, 
Um, Norman Vincent Peale started the magazine back in the 40s or 50s, and it's still going today. And Guidepost is a Christian, Judeo-Christian magazine, Positive Living. And it has an article called, Is There a Such Thing as Toxic Positivity? And it's by Holly Lebowitz Rossi, Rossi. And this was just published a few days ago. But basically, the opposite of authentic positivity is what is increasingly referred to as toxic positivity. These are optimistic platitudes that don't acknowledge the reality that human humans experience is complex and sometimes painful. Some examples of toxic positive statements are smile, worrying about it won't help you, keep your chin up, life is good today, being down about it won't make things worse, or one that um, somebody in my family used to say, be grateful for what you have. There are starving kids in Africa that would love to have what you have. You're blessed. And even though what they're saying is true and they mean well, the way that they say it, especially if you're in a place where you're feeling sad or disturbed about something, doesn't help. And in some cases, it can make it worse. So it's you see this on Facebook a lot. Somebody will lose a family member and somebody will post a scripture that's kind of vaguely condescending. They mean well, but they're telling them how to feel. Or maybe somebody's experiencing depression and they post an article on how to um, find happiness again as a broken person. Broken person? Really? We're all broken. I don't like it somebody calling me a broken person, you know? And people, like I said, people mean well, but a lot of times their platitudes and suggestions can come off as condescending and sort of patronizing. And so a lot of times we may even do that to ourselves. And so I wanted to share my experience with you in that as well. I spent years and years of my life struggling with positive thinking. I would read The Power of Positive Thinking. I would do the exercises in the book. I would do the meditations. I would do all of the stuff, this, this quote the scriptures and do the mantras and all of that. And I would feel a little better, but nothing ever changed. Not my attitude, not how I felt, not the lack of emotions, negative emotions coming up in my life and in my mind, not the way I reacted and responded to unexpected things that happened. And I would feel this intense guilt and I would feel like something was wrong with me and I would feel like I was failing and I felt shame. I felt intense shame that I couldn't think more positively, that no matter how much work I put into thinking positively, Positively, it did not make me feel better. Overall, it did not make me feel better. So basically, I learned over time that I just I just started accepting that I had a lot of negative thoughts in my mind because I didn't know what else to do. I spent so much time fighting with myself and battling in my mind. I thought that you were supposed to battle your way into positive thinking and use willpower. And I read so many books that told me to do that. And, you know, a lot of it was just surface level teachings and they didn't get to the root of you know, what causes negative emotions, what causes depression, what causes anxiety, what causes people to react to things instead of choosing to respond. You see the difference? Reacting is different than choosing to respond. How do you disconnect that fight or flight that's just an automatic thing that just, if something happens, you're like, ah, da, 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 da. you're either ranting or you're freaking out or whatever. And then when you do it, 
that's negative thinking and you feel terrible. You feel like crap. You're like, crap, I did it again. I'm never going to get this right. And so if that's been your experience, I want you to know that I totally understand what you're going through. I have literally struggled with that for 20 years and it made me feel like such a fool, such a failure, and it made me feel deficient. And once I started studying the root causes of where my wounds were coming from, and once I started processing the root causes instead of the effects, those negative thinking patterns, those negative reactions, that fear response, that that fight or flight reaction is just that. It's a fruit. It is a result. It is a symptom not the root. Now, when you think about the fruits of the Spirit, those are also results. Those are also uh, symptoms. So you have to get to the root of whatever it is in order to create fruit, right? You don't just um, change the fruit on the tree. You have to tend to the roots of the tree, give it fertilizer, water, sunlight, prune it, trim it, and all of that in order to get the fruit that you want. And so... The same is true for our emotions and getting to the roots of those is how we're going to produce the fruit in our lives. And so if you just try to change your thought, you're just doing symptom level work on yourself. And that's why nothing ever changes. And so some people will say your negative thinking is the root. I beg to differ. I think that there's something deeper that causes the negative thinking. And if you can get to what that is, it might be one thing. It might be a combination of things. For everybody, it's different. It could be somebody cut you down all the time when you were a child. It could be that somebody ignored you when you needed attention. Maybe when you needed validation at school, your teacher was cruel to you. Maybe you were yelled at on the playground. I mean, the point is, is there can be a lot of reasons for it. Maybe you were mentally, physically, sexually, or emotionally abused or neglected um, physically, emotionally, or mentally. So any of those can cause symptoms that will put us in a mindset of negativity because Basically, when you don't get what you need, you it affects you emotionally, and then it affects your brain, and it affects your thought processes. And chances are, if you had a strong background where that was going on, you probably had adults that modeled negative thinking for you as well, even if they were well-intended. And so understanding the roots of where that comes from, especially stuff that's stuck in your body that creates negative emotions, such as trauma, PTSD, depression, and anxiety... Those are the sources of where you want to go to figure out where the negative thinking came from. So you need to get to the roots of those. And one thing you can do that will also help you heal from the root is to process your emotions as they come up. Now, if you're, say, at work and you're around your boss and you're in a meeting and he says something that is cruel and you get emotional but you hold it inside, you can't obviously process that emotion in the middle of a meeting. So there might be strategies you need to do to kind of calm yourself down and table this and say, I'm going to process this later and then go back to your office and calm down and process it with your door closed if possible or take a walk around the lake next to your office. But the point is there you need to process that emotion as soon as it comes up when it's possible. And if it's not, as soon thereafter. Even if you can't say anything and like go through that process openly, you could also write a few ideas down in a journal if you're in a meeting, if you can get privacy enough to do that, for example. What do you do to get to the root of negative thinking? How do you process it? 
Um, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit more about how toxic positivity impacts people with mental health conditions. Because I think that when you put these platitudes in front of people who maybe haven't experienced trauma and um, prolonged stress and prolonged invalidation and prolonged emotional neglect, people that haven't had the common experience of being overlooked, ignored, invalidated, and abused... Now, I know everybody's experienced that some, but I'm talking about people that have acute mental health issues. And people like that, this can be even more damaging. And trying to force positive thinking can actually cause more damage than the help that it does. So it not only, in some cases, cannot make it better, it can make it worse. And that's why you have to be really careful of the context of what you're doing to try to think more positively. I'm not saying don't do exercises, mental exercises that can help you be more positive. I'm not saying don't say a positive scripture 30 times a day to make yourself feel better. But you need to note those emotions and those thoughts that come up when you do that. And you need to deal with those while at the same time having that positive emotion. And if you feel this cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance is, for example, if you say a positive affirmation or you say a positive scripture and it's really positive, but then inside you know you really don't believe it and you feel so far away from feeling that you really believe that, then that's cognitive dissonance, that space between those two things. And that's how you can know if you try to force something, if it's going to actually be damaging compared to if you um, maybe try to take a gradual step towards being more positive. Like if you're feeling really down and you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you just get this twinge inside of yourself where you just want to cry or you're angry and you're like, I don't feel that way. Then maybe you can say, I'm just thankful to be alive. God got me out of bed this morning and that's a good thing. And this day, even if it's a rough day, is a stepping stone to another day that can be better. So you you can sort of change your thinking where it's more gradual and you can do it step by step. So you're not trying to force yourself to go from A to Z. You go from A to B to C and gradually, incrementally think more positive thoughts. That's one trick that I've learned from a lot of um, study that really helps you to move your energy into a more positive place is in more authentically without forcing it. It helps you to sort of bridge the gap of that cognitive dissonance and close the gap between what you feel and believe and what you're actually trying to go for. So try that strategy too. That'll, that'll really help you. But also toxic positivity, like I said, can impact people with mental health conditions more than a regular person who might not deal with that. Everybody has feelings. Everybody gets sad. Everybody gets angry. And everybody has experienced some kind of trauma in their life. But prolonged trauma actually gets embedded into your subconscious mind. And you're in fight or flight a lot of the time. You're more prone to anger, depression, anxiety, and similar emotions if you have more mental health issues because of background from with that. So another concept that's sort of connected to this, it's like a branch of it, in my opinion, is chasing happiness. I spent 20 years of my life reading every book on happiness I could find. I would practice the techniques. I would do the work. But I wouldn't, most of it never addressed the root of why you were unhappy. 
It only talked about how to be happy, and it might very vaguely touch on some strategies to figure out why you were unhappy, but you've got to do a deep dive. You don't have to know every single negative or traumatic thing that ever happened to you, but you need to do a deep dive into those things. What caused your trauma? What caused your negative thinking? What caused your anxiety or contributed to exacerbating it and your depression? And knowing where those things came from will help you to examine them further. And like I said, I strongly recommend getting the help of a good therapist who understands trauma and if you've experienced that. And if you believe that you've experienced narcissistic abuse or any kind of abuse, make sure you find someone who knows how to deconstruct the nature of abuse and who knows how to walk you through all of those experiences. Uh, Therapy. Prayer, deep prayer, I recommend the trauma prayer, journaling, and some of the processes that I've talked about here will help you to get to the roots of those different types of negative emotions. And I believe the negative emotions are caused by negative thoughts, and then they can cycle out. A negative thought can then create a negative emotion, and then it snowballs, and it becomes a pattern, and then it becomes part of your brain chemistry. And I believe with years of practice, yes, it is a long-term thing, but it is so worth it, so worth it, that you can rewire your brain to automatically think more positive thoughts. It's just not what Norman Vincent Peale talked about, where you can sit down and read a book and meditate 10 minutes a day and say ten something 10 times positively in the morning and 10 times positively in the um, evening, and then you're just automatically cured. It doesn't work that way. I don't think it even works that way for people who haven't experienced trauma. I think that they need to do some of this root work as well, just probably not as much as someone who maybe has experienced acute, long-term, or extreme types of stresses in their lives. So, but chasing happiness I believe will actually make you more miserable if you're not already a kind of person that experiences like a natural positive leaning towards things. I'm aware that there there's a portion of people that I believe are either naturally wired to be positive. So even if they had adverse childhood, they're able to sort of come out on top more. And I think that that's rarity, but I do believe some people are wired that way. I've met some people that were wired that way. But I believe more times than not, people who handle stresses, um, they choose to respond to things instead of reacting to them. When people people that know how to self-regulate their emotions, people that know how to cope with their emotions, and they just automatically process them in a healthy way. And people that naturally lean towards critical thinking about their situation in a way that looks at it constructively and looks at solutions and optimism and looks at the positive possibilities and doesn't live in fear. I believe a lot of those people, it's because they grew up with parents that saw them. They lived in a place where they felt safe. They felt seen. They felt validated. And the people around them had faith in them and told them you know, that they could do what they wanted to do. And yet, they're, they're, um, the people around them also set boundaries in a firm but kind way so that they had the coping skills to deal with the realities of life. I think there's a balance there. And well-adjusted people, um, you know, because if somebody is just told, you're great, you're beautiful, you can do anything you want, and no boundaries are set, 
with bad behavior, then you end up with a narcissist. And there's an, a rise in narcissism because um, a lot of the younger generation, not all, but a lot, there's a higher rate of entitlement and being coddled and helicopter parenting. And like I said, my blog isn't to tell people how to be parents. I wouldn't presume to do so. But there's a lot of research that proves that there's there's truth to that. So basically, chasing happiness will actually make you more miserable. and. There's actually research to back that up, and I wanted to go to that article, an article that backs this, and this is called Vanishing Time in the Pursuit of Happiness. Vanishing Time in the Pursuit of Happiness, and it's from the Psychonomic Bulletin and Review. Psychonomic Bulletin Review. So this is a scientific article, and it basically says that Happiness can be conceptualized as a positive, affective, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E, emotional state, or as a goal whose pursuit ironically pulls the pursuer away from achieving it. So basically, it's that if you try to grasp something, it's not just happiness, but if you feverishly grasp at something, if you're desperate for something, if you're clinging to the idea, then there's fear behind it. And if you're pursuit of something is based on fear, then you're actually going to probably reap the opposite. Great, huh? I know. That that sucks. And it just doesn't seem fair that that's the nature of life, but there it is. You pursue something with a feverish grasping, with a desperation, and you'll actually keep seeing it go farther away like a mirage. You always see it just in the distance, but you never quite get to it. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something you've done? If you are anxiety-based and you pursue happiness from a base of anxiety and you just keep pursuing it, you're never going to get happiness. So a little bit more about this study that showed that pursuing happiness in a sort of desperate sense is actually counterproductive. It says that... um, Let me, let me read the abstract to the article. Happiness can be conceptualized as a positive, effective state or as a goal whose pursuit ironically pulls the pursuer away from achieving it. That's from Moss, Tamir, Anderson, and Savino in Emotion. That's the publication. But how do people think about time during this latter, never-ending pursuit of happiness? The present investigation asks how seeking happiness influences perception of time availability. Four studies demonstrated that trait-level happiness-seeking, as well as direct manipulation of happiness-seeking, consistently reveal the same pattern. Reduced feelings of time availability while pursuing happiness. This negative effect on time availability is mitigated when happiness seems like it has already been achieved and seems quick to achieve. In addition, pursuing happiness can ultimately decrease happiness in part by reducing perceptions of time availability, extending theories on happiness, goal pursuit, and perceptions of time. So basically, it's saying that if you spend so much of your time trying to pursue happiness, you're going to be miserable. And, you know, that kind of sucks. But You know, just from my experience, I can tell you that that is so true. And it is absolutely maddening to try to pursue happiness like some kind of unattainable um, mirage. So unlike other goals, pursuing happiness rarely leads to attaining happiness. That's from Schooler 
Airily and Lowenstein uh, from 2003. This is still the article um, about the pursuit of happiness. Instead, seeking happiness more often ironically decreases happiness, in turn causing a previous act of seeking happiness to prompt continued behavior devoted towards the same objective. Acts of seeking happiness. And that's where it's grasping because the mindset behind it is not peace. It's not um, honesty. It's not authenticity. It's a grasping. I have to do this. I have to do this. There's pressure. There's fear behind it. So how might this happiness-seeking spiral shape one's experience? We propose, this is their article, that the unique process of pursuing happiness as a goal keeps one, people engaged in a resource-limited state while seeking happiness, specifically because pursuing goals requires an investment of time. The goal of happiness, that is, not other goals. Because happiness is a goal that is often never fully realized. The pursuit of happiness should cause people to anticipate needing to dedicate more more time toward the continued pursuit of happiness and as a result to feel as though they have less and less time available to them in the present. So that kind of deconstructs the nature of why pursuing happiness will make you crazy. And if it's coming from a place of fear, even if the fear is unconscious, it can actually make you feel worse because you never quite get there. But this article is really good, and I encourage you to look it up if you have access to it. Um, it's called Vanishing Time in the Pursuit of Happiness. Vanishing Time in the Pursuit of Happiness, and it's published in Psychonomic Bulletin and Review. That's P-S-Y-C-H-O-N-O-M-I-C, Bulletin and Review. And it's um, Volume 25, Issue 4, August 2018. Okay. So that explains why chasing happiness is basically a good path to misery. So what do you do? That sucks. Okay, so if you've been wired to think negatively and you experience a lot of negative emotions like anger, guilt, anxiety, fear, shame, and um, frustration, then how the heck do you ever overcome any of that stuff? Well, um, what's, a what's a healthy alternative? I believe that the healthiest alternative in pursuing positive thinking is an indirect route. It's a backdoor approach. And so accepting your emotions is part of that process. And so there was a movement in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s towards positive thinking and empowerment and positivity and all of that. Self-esteem. And what people realized or beginning to realize through research is that self-esteem is only part of the process. The other part of the process is integration, acceptance, and looking at the full picture. And so just thinking positive, especially if the context of the situation might make it forced, can actually not be healthy in the long run. And so I found an article in Forbes magazine by Melody Wilding. And Melody Wilding talks about, forget positive thinking. This is how to actually change negative thoughts for success. So she gives some strategies on basically a substitute for positive thinking. Does that mean you think negatively about everything? No, obviously not. But she does say that you should dig yourself out of Debbie Downer thoughts and give interrogation interrogative self-talk a try. So try having conversations with yourself 
the strategy that I explained where you sort of gradually change your thinking. You might do an affirmation that goes from absolutely just horrible thinking to, well, maybe I'm willing to consider this to, I'm willing to consider this to, maybe this is possible to, it is possible to, I believe. And like design your own affirmations, maybe leading to a scripture or to another positive affirmation that you can get to in a place that's more authentic by doing baby steps. And you slowly begin to change your thinking that way. Focus on progress, not perfection. Focus on progress, not perfection. But in this Forbes magazine article, it talks about um, how a lot of self-help gurus, so to speak, will swear that repeating positive phrases and mantras will change your life. Saying things like, I am strong and successful. Your fears will simply disappear. Not true. It may work for some things. It may work for some people. But for a lot of people, it doesn't work. And it's not because there's something wrong with you. So let's look at how to process our emotions in a more integrated way, in a way that's more realistic, and in a way that's more possible to do, especially if you deal with this stuff. So there's an article here by Haley Goldberg on shinetext.com, shinetext.com, and it's four ways to avoid toxic positivity and lean into emotional acceptance. So the alternative to toxic positivity and the alternative to forced positivity is acceptance and acceptance of what is, acceptance of your emotions, acceptance of situations that you may not like. That doesn't mean you like them. That doesn't mean you're like, yes, and condone them. It simply means that you accept what's here with peace. And that's an easier place to get to than just going from negative to positive in zero to um, going zero to 60 in 12 seconds. It's, you can't do it. Most people can't do it. So, um, Haley Goldberg says, chasing happiness can cause us to obsess over any not happy feelings, bringing us more unhappiness overall. It's what we talked about earlier. And she gives four strategies to help you to deal with integrating your emotions in a more realistic way, integrating negative thinking and dealing with what they, what is already there in a more realistic way. Greet your feeling with self-compassion. Know it's part of being human. Aim for deep acting in your nine to five. In other words, if you have something where you have to say something positive or be positive and you have to fake it, um, you've probably heard fake it till you make it. Sometimes it works, but I think there has to be something authentic about it for it to actually catch on. And for people to really believe you, that's why some people suck at sales. Some people are really good at putting on a mask or they're really good at integrating emotions just by saying, I need to feel this way. And they feel this way. And for most of us, that's not easy. That's like forced positivity. So she says deep acting is a solution to that. And deep acting is the alternative. She says instead of putting on a mask, actually try to feel the emotion, the one that you want to feel. And that way it comes out naturally. So if you need to be um, courteous and kind and compassionate to a customer on your daily job, if you can sort of put yourself in that person's shoes, it's almost like method acting. It makes it more authentic. It makes it more authentic. Once again, 
if, you know, you can't force it, but be at the best place that you can be there. Maybe you're just a little down and you just act really nice to that person, even if you're not putting on a big smile. And that's the best you can do that day. And that's okay. It just, the trick, she says, is to identify what does not feel authentic. And then where can you go to that does feel authentic to you and communicate that in a way that supports your goals? So, you know, you don't want to mouth off to your um, customers, obviously. Most good Christian people wouldn't want to do something like that. So if you're having a bad day, if you can just go to a place where you're in a better place, even if you're not in the best place, and it's authentic, then that's a good place to be at that time. And she also says try journaling. And we'll talk about that more later. So I myself created a process for processing emotions. If you have a lot of negative thoughts, then you're going to have a lot of negative emotions. It's just going to happen. If you're wired that way, chicken or the egg, I don't think it really matters whether the emotion or the thought came first. I believe thoughts create emotions, but then emotions can snowball. And that's where you get these feedback loops where it's emotion, thought, emotion, thought, emotion, thought. And you get this negative feedback loop that you can't get to stop. And so here's something you can do. Instead of trying to force positivity to stop that negative feedback loop, let's try this process. I call this emotional processing. And if a negative emotion comes up, especially one that's overpowering or overwhelming, toxic, and negative, this is something that you can really use as a strategy. So first, um, you need to be able to, let's say that you get Uh, Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're really angry. Maybe you rant. Maybe you even cuss at them. Because maybe when you were a child, um, people were constantly invading your um, boundaries. They didn't respect you as an individual or your feelings. And so you take that personally. And maybe you tend to be a little oversensitive about that because of what happened when you were younger. That's not your fault. That's not your fault. You've probably been told that those reactions are your fault. If you react that way, there's a reason you react that way. However, you are responsible for your emotions now and for finding a way to deal with that so you can respond, choose to respond in a better way so that it becomes a choice instead of a reaction. Now know this, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're still going to get that fight or flight. I get this sort of fiery feeling in my chest and my stomach and my breathing, my throat and my chest contract and I feel this tightness in my chest and my shoulders and I start feeling like I get a head rush and my stomach has this sort of bellyache but it's like the feeling when you're falling but not in a good way. And that for me is what my anger takes, the feeling that my anger takes on. And then my face gets flushed. And when you feel that way, you just want to give in to that feeling. It's so overpowering. But that's when you need to stop and breathe. And the first thing you need to do is identify your emotion. Identify your emotion and understand it, perhaps through journaling. You can't journal while you drive, but you can think through this while you're driving. You don't have to journal it every time. If you can just go through this verbally or in your head or write it down, do some combination of all of them, then you can get somewhere with this. So be objective about it and just kind of look. It's almost like you have your emotions, but you have a witness. And that witness to your emotions, not the thing that's in the emotions, but the witness to your emotions is a thing that's separate from that. You are not your emotions. That witness that's separate from that is you. That's the 
thing that God, that's the person that God made. The emotion is something you're experiencing. It's not you. You understand? They're two different things. So if you can separate yourself, then you can look at the emotion as a separate thing from the emotion and say, I'm angry. You're going to still feel angry at this point, but you can say, I'm angry. And it's okay. You don't judge yourself. You just identify and look at it objectively. Look at it objectively. Look at it objectively. I'm angry. I'm angry. I feel angry. And understand it, perhaps through, like I said, journaling. But be objective when you analyze the emotion. It doesn't take a lot. You might even say, where did this come from? Why do I feel this way? Like if you know somebody cut you off in traffic, you know why you feel this way. But why do you feel this way? That's where you're getting to the source of the emotion. You feel this way because when you were a child, um, your older cousin used to come over to the house every Saturday and he would pick you up and throw you in the mud and you asked him not to. And then the next Saturday, he would knock you over and run over you in his little Hot Wheels or whatever. And it hurt you, your feelings and you didn't feel safe and you asked him to not do it and he did not respect your boundary. And so you felt violated and you got angry. And so you, you, you have a comparable experience here with the person cutting you off in traffic. You can't change that. People are going to cut you off in traffic, right? So dealing with this in a healthy way will help you to master your emotions and help you to be able to heal the roots at the same time. So once you've accepted your emotion on a deep level, just let yourself feel it. If you're pissed off, let yourself feel pissed off. It's okay. It's a natural reaction. If somebody cuts you off, they're being careless. You have every right to feel angry. Uh, just don't give in to that anger. Just feel it and let it pass through your body. It doesn't feel good. It's overwhelming. That's part of the process and that's okay. And over time, your anger will diminish as you process this each time. And one day you might even be like, eh, somebody cut me off and it might not bother you so much. So this is helping you to actually create fruits of the spirit. So first, identify your emotion, understand it a little bit. Where did it come from? And analyze it, but you don't have to overanalyze it. Think about where you may have actually had a similar experience that may have actually caused you to react to this particular thing in the past. And then after you've accepted it and identified it, then show yourself compassion. Imagine your emotion is... This is something that a teacher named Tara Brock, I learned from um, listening to some of her teachings. And she says, imagine that your powerful emotion is in a thimble of water. Your emotion is ink. You take a drop of ink and you put it in the thimble of water. The thimble of water is tiny. It's confined. It's tight. It's constricted. And as a result, you find that your the same. That's how you feel. You are the thimble. And picture that anger just bursting through the thimble. It just shatters. Maybe it's a glass thimble and it just breaks into a million pieces. And then picture that drop of water, that drop of ink being your anger. Then picture an infinite glassy ocean. It's just a flat lake. It's peaceful and it goes on forever. You, can, you can't even see the horizon. And then you drop that anger into that lake. That lake is pure love. It's pure compassion. Imagine it that it's God's love. Imagine that it is Christ's forgiveness. And think about how infinite and powerful and 
visceral that that is, but yet it's open and it's infinite, like a big open blue sky. And think about how peaceful that is. Drop that anger into that lake that goes on forever and just let it spread out. Let it be as big as it wants to be. Don't restrict it. Don't judge it. Just feel it. Don't let it take you over. Just feel it. Don't enmesh with it. Enmesh with it means you become it and you let you act on it in the real world. Don't act on it in the real world. Just feel it. Sit with it, breathe with it, and feel that compassion in a physical way. What is it what does it felt like when you felt the deepest love in your entire life? Put that as the sort of backdrop or the lake. That's the lake. Drop the ink into it and just let it spread out and get as big as it is and just sit with it for a few minutes. Sit with it. Give it 30 seconds, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, a half an hour. Give it all the space it wants to be what it is and just feel it and let compassion take over as the backdrop to that emotion. And don't limit it. Don't judge it. And don't analyze it at this point. And then once you've gotten to the point where it starts to dissipate, then take it to the next step. And like I said, kind of look back at it and don't enmesh with it and ask yourself, what have I learned? What can I do next time when a similar situation occurs? It doesn't have to be exactly the same. Maybe your cousin threw you in the mud and ran over you with his hot wheels, invaded your space and disrespected your feelings. And it damaged you in some way because he did it every Saturday for 12 years. But maybe, you know, it could be somebody invading your um, boundaries in another way. For example, maybe your boss um, yells at you and tells you you have to come in Sunday to finish your project. He's invaded a boundary too, even if it's not a physical one. So it's not so different than what your cousin did. So you could apply the anger that comes up in those spaces in the same way you would when somebody cuts you off in traffic. So look at situations, whether it's anger Fear and anxiety, sadness, uh, depression, guilt, frustration, irritation, um, any kind of negative emotion, you can use the same process. So let me review the steps. Identify the emotion and understand it. Maybe think about where did it come from? Not just what caused it now, but where did this ori- where can I think of things that this originally happened to me when I was a child? Be objective when analyzing it. Accept your emotion, feel it on a deep level, and don't judge it. And then show yourself compassion. Show yourself infinite compassion like a big sky or a big lake. And then understand that with that compassion, it will dissipate, but you accept it. If some of it's still there, that's okay. You know, that's part of the process. And then don't enmesh with it. Don't let it take over in a way that you act on it. So feel it, but don't become it. Feel it, but don't become it. Okay, so those are the five steps to processing your emotions. And so when something comes up that's overpowering in your emotions, if there's a negative thought and you're not sure what you feel, but you know there's a negative thought, try to go into your body and think about where did this negative emotion come from? How do I feel? What feeling did it come from? And then once you go to what feeling it came from, then you can identify the emotion and then you can feel the emotion and then you can go through this five-step process of ex- of identifying, accepting, feeling, having compassion, and not enmeshing with it. Okay? So to me, 
integration, acceptance of a circumstance, an emotion, or a negative thought, and being positive, but doing it in a way that's safe and healthy for where you're at, being honest and authentic, and producing the fruits of the Spirit in a gradual way if it doesn't come naturally to you at this time. Those are strategies you can use to help you to live a more positive life, to reap the benefits of positive thinking, and to do it in a way that's realistic by getting rid of all that negative stuff in a way that's realistic as well. So I hope that this blog has helped you, and I know it was long, but I wanted to really break down this process and how it works, and so if you um, don't mind, you can um, go to my, check out my webpage. I'm a writing coach, and rachelleroy.com, rachelleroy.com is devoted to that. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to my YouTube channel, subscribe to my blog. I'll put the links underneath, and I'll... um, put links in the YouTube area if this is YouTube. And also check out my Facebook page, Christian Emotional Recovery on Facebook, Christian Emotional Recovery. And please join the group if you haven't already. Look through the rules first and make sure that that's something that you can abide by. And if it is, then you're more than welcome to join our group. We would love to have you. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to blog number five in Christian Emotional Recovery. I look forward to seeing you in the next blog. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Christian Emotional Recovery, hosted by Rachel Leroy. For links to this week's resources and to join the discussion, check out this episode's show notes at christianemotionalrecovery.com, where you can also find links to our YouTube channel and Facebook group. Join our email list and get other episodes and resources. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend who may benefit from this message. See you next time. And remember, beloveds, God loves you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made.